Who's your Vladdy? The issue is foreign policy. And the question is, will diplomacy deter Russia from invading the Ukraine? Roll credits. <laughs> Welcome to Political Playlist. <laughs> All right. Are you ready, guys? Happy hour. Happy, Happy hour. hour. <laughs> that up so God. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Political Playlist Happy Hour. Now, before we get started, I think we have to address a couple of things. I know you're used to hearing our pretty voices on the podcast airwaves, but now you are also going to get to see our pretty faces on the YouTube airwaves. But here's the deal. It's still Michael Kristoff. Anna Muskie Goldwyn. And Anthony Barkett. And we are here for happy hour, drinks in hand, to attack the issues through the lens of young congressional leaders under the age of 45. And we're doing it with drinks in hand because let's face it, talking politics with a cocktail in hand is just a little bit better than doing it otherwise. So as we just said before the little credit intro there, the issue is foreign policy. And if anyone has been looking at anything news related, they're seeing that there's a slightly alarming escalation of potential violence in Eastern Europe. That is Russia potentially invading Ukraine. So a number of our political leaders have been talking about this, but I kind of want to first throw it to you guys and ask you, what do you guys make of this situation uh, do we think diplomacy, which we're currently trying right now, is going to work? What What's the deal? Honestly, I think it's terrifying. No. I'm curious sort of what you're going to bring to the table with this, because I feel like, admittedly, I don't know that I understand all shapes and sizes of what's going on. I feel like everything that I read and glance over is very much, it's just like escalation, escalation, escalation. And I also feel like the sort of uh, backlash response from Russia is very much like, no, it's your fault for sending troops, you know? So I guess yeah. generally I'm not hopeful because it seems like it's just escalating military tensions. But admittedly, I would like to learn more if you have more to share. I, well, I just quick hot take yes. for me. I have three issues here. Mm. Uh, wow. The first, knock them down. <laughs> wow, I think I need another drink for this. Uh, the first is being, I think there should have been much stricter sanctions put on Russia with the uh, oil pipeline, mm -hmm. uh, the new one that's going into Europe. Germany. Well, yeah, going into Germany, and I think that it's just going to be ca causing Europe to be so much more dominated by Russia from utilization of this pipeline um, that we're giving up. And uh, that should have been the first thing. I think the UN needs to have, should probably just get rid of itself because it needs to have stricter policies in place to protect borders. So we're not dealing with these political border issues throughout the entire world and scaring everyone. And third, I think it would be ridiculous if the US actually gets into another war right now uh, to essentially protect Ukraine. Basically, we're coming up on the 40-year anniversary of the fall of the Soviet Union. And so this has been kind of a big milestone for uh, Vladimir Putin as far as the new Russia that he kind of sees, right? And so I think getting back to our leaders and what folks are saying here domestically, I think that there seems to be a hope that diplomacy is going to win out, but there's a fear that our 
threats, as it were, are pretty toothless. Um, you know, something I'm hearing from a, a lot of talking points right now is that we have no ambassador to the Ukraine. And I think what's interesting to look at with that is the fact that what happened you know, to him? Did he? Well, so yeah, he died. <laughs> well, yeah, no, he didn't uh, die. I'm kidding. You know, he just he was like, "This sucks." I'm I'm out of here. <laughs> well, no, so you know, this is this is I think one of our roles at Political Playlist. One of our our missions is to kind of call things out, and, and we're not taking a position. We're just sort of laying it out as as it's actually happening, and and then we can discuss sort of what we think of that, and so. You know, what ultimately happened was back during Trump's first impeachment, the ambassador to, the, to Ukraine was Maria Yovanovitch. If you recall, oh, yes, she came and testified. She was then fired. So yeah. since then, we have not had a Senate confirmed ambassador to the UN. Or, wow, excuse Is me, there one that's that. Did Biden nominate one and we're well, waiting for the confirmation? No. Or? So what, oh, that seems we have stupid. had a series of acting ambassadors to the Ukraine since then. And currently, um, Christina Kavian, um, I'm probably butchering that name. She is the current acting ambassador. She was a holdover from the previous administration, now has stayed on. But uh, apparently, um, many of these ambassadorship confirmations are being held up in the Senate. So, you know, people are coming down on Biden to, you know, the fact that we have no Ukraine ambassador. Well, that's a little disingenuous because it was fired. Uh, and we haven't had one for four years. Uh, uh, we've had an acting one, which, you know, is, is pretty yeah, close. That's just stupidity, though. I mean, last week right. we were raiding our government. How, how, how are they doing? Well, right. this kind of seems like ineptitude all across the board. Yeah. I um, mean, th this is one of those things, though, you know, I'm going to rip on Biden here. And yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe a nomination is being held up, but don't you outline going, what are the geopolitical issues that are going to happen in the first? you know, 12 to 24 months of my presidency. Right. I want to make sure the people have strong power in those countries to handle yeah. that situation. So yeah. I'm not always on the, there's someone I could uh, delegate to basically yeah. in a sense. Well, here's an example of what folks are saying. All right. So Mike Gallagher, all right, Republican congressman mm -hmm. from Wisconsin, he met to your point, Anthony, about the Biden administration kind of dropping the ball here. He was on Fox News and he was saying the same team that bungled the Afghan evac is now has another chance to bungle yet another evacuation of Eastern Europe. So mm -hmm. that was with in regards to great the versus great, great use of the word evac. Bungle. Well, uh, bungle. Yeah. Bungle <laughs> and evac former military guy here. So uh, an example of. Uh, somebody on the other side of the coin, um, Jason Crow, also a military veteran. Um, Aren't Jason Crow and Mike Gallagher like BFFs? Also, they like they're do kind workouts of running together. Bodies. I think yeah. they like do workouts together, right? Yeah, yeah. Just Maybe to they show you the weirdness priests. of government, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, but isn't that so almost like? Doesn't that make you feel better though that? After yeah, all the fighting, they're like, totally, they also run together. totally. Yeah. But it also makes me feel angry that those like human things yeah. cannot break through the partisanship. Like what you were saying before about, you know, each side kind of politicizing this. Mm -hmm. It's just very depressing because it's like, right. this is 
like the Afghanistan thing, which, you know, I think we can argue the administration was sort of responsible for that plan. But this is like, there's so many things at play. It's not just a decision that Biden made, right? This is a react. We have to be reactionary to Mm -hmm. something, which is a very hard thing to do. And just that, that it's then made to be, political again as opposed to we are america our values are in in conflict with the values of russia so this is what we're going to do and present in our uh, united front right i find it very sad that we can't figure out how to do that without you know chomping at each other so what so so what's happening with the other what what are other people saying? I'm interested. Well, so get to the get to the point. Todd. Well, no, but Anna, you're totally right, and and there is, you know, to surprise to nobody, there is a massive politicization of this, right? So you have a lot of folks on the right talking about the Biden administration's failures with regard to Afghan policy and evacuation. Heretofore, their only big foreign policy issue they've had to deal with. And so the, you know, likelihood in their mind that, okay, well, they're going to fuck this one up too. Now, somebody like Jason Crow, again, military veteran, Democrat uh, from Colorado, you know, he tweeted out saying, Putin is testing the U.S. and and NATO. He's saying the U.S. must expedite and expand shipments of defensive weapons to Ukraine and bolster their cyber defenses, right? So he is he is talking about and he kind of represents the group of people who are who are taking a stand on how we solve this problem. I think generally what we're seeing from the right is not so much a definitive proposal as to what we should do, but more of a almost a rhetorical warning that like, hey, this is going to be bad. going to be bad. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, I think Tom Cotton gave an interview and was literally just like, this is Biden's fault. Right. 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 And, and so... Yeah, that's actually so funny. I was just thinking what should literally be mandatory is each side needs to present their yeah. proposals yeah. within a 24-hour period. Right. And I'm sure there's great ones on I just want to live in Anthony's Congress. Like you're locked <laughs> uh, in the room yeah. forever until and you just get pizza delivered to you. Oh, a 24-hour rule to deliver an entire piece yeah, of legislation. Fully, yeah, you know what? Pizza on Mondays. Yeah. Taco Tuesday on Tuesdays. Yeah. Whis- whiskey Wednesdays. Whiskey Wednesdays. Mitchie, Mitchie M, I'm there. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, no, I mean, I'd probably be running some form of a dictatorship, I guess. I don't know. I kind of, you know, like stop giving us empty, um, you know, reasons here. Uh, And and that's what I'm kind of saying. It's, you know, I just gave a lot of points of, oh, we should have done this. I'm a Monday day day quarterback Mm -hmm. right now. But really, like, what are the things that we should be doing? And probably sending, you know, uh, armory and missiles and whatnot stuff Mm -hmm is a little late. We should have been doing that. Um, probably. But at least ago. it's something, at least well, it's an it's idea. Supply chain yeah. delays right now. Yeah. We're, you know, it, it's in the mail. It'll be there in like a month and a half. And, and I also, there's a great for, for folks. We'll link it. There's a great op-ed in the New York times by Fiona Hill. Um, she wrote a great op-ed at how this is all playing into Vladimir Putin's hand. Yeah. Right. Like he's I agree. In, this is exactly what he wants. He wants Europe, not all on the same page about him invading. He wants absolute chaos domestically here in the U.S., which, you know, it kind of, he's kind of he's getting doing it at the perfect yeah. time. And, and, you know, I think my big takeaway from all this is like, why aren't we all in sync on this being 
like a really big problem. I mean, I think we kind of are, but like, I don't know. There, there seems to be like a lot of finger pointing rather than solution. Drawing. Yeah, no shit. It's yeah. Why is no one aware of once again? It's the current time we're living in. Wow. And once I again, thought the, Anna was the optimist of us. Hmm. The, the when it comes to I'm Russian, it, you know, maybe the I media is allowing it too. <laughs> if we're getting Tom Cotton up there, who's yeah. just pointing the finger instead of saying we should be doing X, Y, and Z, it's like give me your top three or yeah. get off my stage. Yeah, that's and the dictator. And yeah, and there, there we go. I, I mean, I, I just heard that um, Biden's going to like freeze Putin's accounts and whatnot. And I was like, okay, he has money everywhere. You know? Yeah. I love that Putin's not, like, I can't get in my Venmo. Yeah. yeah. Bro, not, I'm trying to Venmo you. Yeah. Like, it was like German. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I, my hope, to go back to our, our question, will diplomacy deter Russia from invading Ukraine? I don't think that it will. And I think that they are going to invade and we are going to slap them with some big sanctions. I don't think they're going to take over Kiev, but Kiev or Kiev? Kiev. I think people go back yeah. on that. I've heard Kiev. Um, Again, uh, I have Eastern European blood. I know. Yes. Well, I'm, uh, I'm not My so sure. My talk like this. <laughs> Hello. She's the golden girl. I don't think they're going to get to Kiev, but um, I certainly think the border is going to sort of become a bit uh, redrawn, uh, much like the voting districts in this country. Ooh, and uh, ooh, hey, Jeremy. Andrew, Do you want to know what my uh, my last names used to be pronounced as? Ooh, Muskie was Mushki. Mushki. Mm. And Goldwyn was Geldfitz. Geldfitz. Mushki Geldfitz. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, well, I think we're not going to let that one go for a very long time. Anna Mushki Goldwitz. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Tony Bucket, how you doing? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> from uh, Sicily, you know. Yeah. <laughs> The issue is rules and regulations of government. And the question is, do you think that members of Congress should be banned from buying and trading stocks? Yes. Yes. Welcome to Political Playlist. All right. Are we ready, guys? Happy hour. Happy Happy hour. hour. (laughs) Fuck that up so bad. I mean, next issue. (laughs) Next issue. Okay. um, I I mean, every single year, we have to go through this issue of members of Congress. Wait, I didn't even get to say the title of it. I should have said the title first. Your question was so good. Like, we're bouncing. Okay. Also, Um, we're men and we're not good listeners. I'm going to do it again with the title because I like my title, even though it's not as funny as Michael. Oh, I feel like we're riffing. This is great. Okay. Yeah, we well, you can edit it. Whatever. <laughs> Line them up and stock them down. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I'm so glad we waited what? for that. <laughs> hey, that's so good. The issue is rules and regulations of government. And the question is, do you think that members of Congress should be allowed to buy and trade stock? Anthony? <laughs> no. No. Okay, well, just so you know, 75% mm-hmm. of the country supports that. So God, I appeal with them much let me just give you a quick <laughs> chronology of why I'm asking this question. Representative Abigail Spamberger, who's one of my faves, she's one of these mm-hmm. women that never gets talked about, but gets shit done. Yeah, she Virginia. Proposed, yeah, yeah, Virginia. She what proposed, district for extra bonus points? Ooh, I don't know. All right, if you don't know, take a shot. A shot? Okay, I'll take a sip of my wine. 
I want to say seventh district. Maybe. I don't know. We'll get back to you on that one. So Abigail Spanberger proposed a bill over a year ago called the Trust Act, bipartisan bill with a very conservative member of the House named Trip Roy from Texas. And the Trust Act essentially said that members of Congress could not buy or trade stocks. They had to put them in a blind trust. Abigail herself, she and her husband sold all of their stocks before she entered Congress, except one that her husband had that was wrapped up in an employment uh, employment compensation. And her reasoning behind this was very simple. She said, Congress doesn't have a great approval rating. To do this gets people to trust us. It's called the Trust Act. It's not saying that people are criminals. It's just saying we have bad public perception out there. So... Also, her husband being like locked up in a company one, that's totally fine too. You can't Right. He has no control over that. It's like in his thing. So, so poor Jimmy Carter sold his peanut farm. (laughs) So, the reason we're talking about this now, because by the way, this happened over a year ago, kind of came and went. Now, what has happened is that there was a study done by Business Insider recently Mm. found that 52 members of Congress violated what is called the Stock Act, which means, which uh, says that members of Congress have to report within 45 days any uh, trading or buying of stocks. And there were 52 wow. members that violated this law. So that kind of kicked into gear. Two of our other young politicians, John Ossoff and Josh Hawley, their bills are kind of different, which we can go into after we you know, talk a little bit about this. But basically, we now have John Ossoff, who's a fairly progressive member of the Democratic Party, Josh Hawley, who is a very conservative member of the Republican Party, Abigail Spanberger, who's a moderate Democrat, Chip Roy, this older guy from Texas, who's a very conservative uh, Republican. We have a House bill. We have two Senate bills. And there's bipartisan support now growing around this because Mm -hmm. Nancy Pelosi, when asked about this, she literally like dismissed it. And she said... You know, it's cap. This is a cap of free market. We should be able, people should be able to participate in the free market. And it was very flagrant how she responded to it, which then got everyone who feels this way, whether they're Republican or Democrat, to say, How can you be so flagrant in responding to this question? Because they were about the study. And her husband, Husband. no, is an investor who frequently trades stocks. And Pelosi is among the wealthiest members of Congress. Although she does not own any stocks herself, her husband is tied up in a shitload of them. So, wow, what do you think? I'm I'm definitely for members of Congress not being allowed to trade stocks. Hands down, absolutely. I think it, it, it gets a little tough when it comes to your spouse. Because mm-hmm. what about if you were married to someone who that's their job? Right. Well, right? the idea is that, they would have to sacrifice something for you to be an elected official. Yeah. And I mean, but like when that's your career, that's a pretty difficult thing to say, oh, just figure out another career. While you were just saying this in the Anthony world of dictatorship, mm. I think everyone should actually be allowed to uh, trade stocks. But... But 50% of those profits have to go to something in uh, Congress or for the U.S. So let me tell you that part of John Kelly's bill Uh is that the penalty for breaking the law, his law, if if the bill became... Is that you get (laughs) reelected? Is that is that whatever profits you made illegally off of that stock trade or purchase 
has to go to the Department of Treasury and give it back to the American people. Ooh, That's the penalty. That. So it's not, that. it's different than what you're saying. Um, but yeah, I'd like but, it to be a little bit more defined than just going not, back to the government. On Ossoff's but, bill, it's just a yeah. strict fine on a member of Congress's salary. So are we, just to clarify here, are we saying that John Ossoff and Josh Hawley are, uh, kind of aligned. On They're this? very aligned. The only difference, well, Wowzers. there's so, so those are the differences lie in the punishment, which is what I was just mm. saying. And then the one difference is that in John Ossoff's bill, this would extend to spouses and dependent children. In Josh Hawley's bill, it's just elected members and their spouses. And Anthony, I mm. hear what you're saying from like a uh, sort of intellectual sense that mm -hmm. if your spouse well if hold on i'm sorry did you just say anthony and intellectual in the same everything is intellectual. i, hate, oh, I hated yeah. myself as oh, soon gosh. as i said it you knew it you knew but it from you know from like a sense of of making a living and having a career i get it but there have been a number of elected <laughs> officials who have been caught essentially mm -hmm. making decisions on their investments based on, you know, insider knowledge that they have. And to say that, but to say that like, you're not going to share the honor. Well, here, here's a tough thing too, is I, I'm, I'm sorry, but like the, the tough thing for me is, especially Nancy Pelosi, she's from, you know, the Bay area. You're sitting next to some of the biggest Silicon Valley people ever. And I, I remember reading something where her husband made a bunch on Apple stock and, uh, Steve Jobs used to be very involved and Tim Cook. And I'm like, yeah, you sit down with the guy and he's like, you're like, <laughs> yeah. hey, how's everything going? And he's like, I have something that's going to change yeah. music. And you're it's like, going it's going great. I'm going to stop. Shouldn't exist, right? Like that's the reason yeah. why you shouldn't but, be but able what to. What else are you going to talk about when you sit no, with no, no. him? But I'm saying that's the reason why they shouldn't be allowed to trade or buy sure, stocks. I, I mean, I, I personally don't agree that mm, interesting you should okay. um yeah now i will say just to it's point a harder out, issue when you talk it out to be yeah, honest interestingly I enough to my guns you guys have shifted interestingly uh, enough one of the, the reasons that georgia flipped blue if we recall kelly loffler who mm. uh rafael warnock defeated she got caught up in a little so did COVID david perdue situation. by the way and uh, yeah and and so you know there there is some irony there um I, I think there's a very clear line between if you receive information in a classified intelligence briefing and then go make some stock trades. You should definitely feels, get in trouble for that. Yeah, that yeah. feels highly illegal. Yeah. But okay. I don't think that any family member should have to give up what they do because their spouse or their family member uh, decides to run for public office. In fact, quite the opposite. I Can think I, I have a question though. Like mm -hmm. if... I because I hear what you're saying that yes, if that activity is going on, it should be investigated and mm -hmm. that should not be legal. But I think that where it gets hard with a spouse is that it's much harder to go in and put in like a mechanism to invest to potentially investigate somebody's spouse and go through Nancy Pelosi's husband's mm -hmm. like you know, Rolodex of stock trading and decipher what maybe is influenced by the committees that she's sitting on and what maybe isn't influenced by the information that she has. Yeah. So I think that the reason that I would support this is because at some point in government, you have to create a law that is a blanket rule for everybody. Does 
implementing a ban like this mm-hmm. accomplish what Abigail Spanberger says, which is give the American public faith, a new kind of faith in elected officials. And that, you know, I'm an emotional person that struck an emotional chord with me because how many people do you talk to who say politicians are all corrupt? For sure. They're all just money. And I feel like honestly, it's a fucking disaster right now. And in my opinion, and I think you guys share this, the only way that we get out of this disaster is if we start to actually believe our government can do something and think that all these people in there are not just in it for like the power and the money, even though some of them are, I think we believe that some of them are not. Mm -hmm. And this to me is a rule. Maybe the rule doesn't last forever. This is a rule that would reinvigorate that faith. There's, there's rules in place for public CEOs and people who work at public companies on how they can trade and sell and buy stocks. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we do not have them for our pol- politicians is outrageous. So you're in support, but maybe not as sweeping as these young politicians. There's always a solution. Thing. There's always a solution. Oh, look but how optimistic. Unfortunately, we have three or four different people proposing four different bills, you know, three or four bills here. And instead of them actually working together on it, they're going in different directions. Yeah. Maybe we can just trust them to be honest. <laughs> yeah, the honor system. Eagle Scout. Is it too much to ask people? Yes. All I want you to do is tell me the truth. Okay, well, I'm going to talk about an Hold issue. On, take that over again. You have to say your title. I didn't have a title. Well, you better come up with one on the fly. My title for this yeah. is... Do it with gusto. One flew over the Congress nest. Political revolution of the millennium. Welcome to Political Playlist. <laughs> All right, are you ready, guys? Happy hour. Happy, Happy hour. hour. <laughs> that up so oh, bad. God. I want to talk about something that's a little intense, and that is mental health. The question that I am presenting is, do we need more mental health service professionals in high school? Yes. The suicide rates have increased by 56% for people the ages of 10 to 24 years old. Oh Oh my God. That is so, that's horrible. Horrible, right? But the U.S. Surgeon General has actually said that mental health has been a massive problem, especially Mm -hmm. with the younger population. Right now, in a lot of high schools and other schools, is there's not enough professionals per uh, ratio of kid. So in some high schools, there's one mental health professional for 500 plus kids. Mm. Lauren Underwood. Oh, love her. Ah, she's, right. she's one of the best. Um, you care about healthcare, you better know who Lauren Underwood is. Absolutely. She's so, from uh, Illinois, Congressman. Yeah. From she's from Illinois. Um, yeah, she's all about healthcare. And one thing I just really love is she's focusing a lot on women and the youth right now, but she's leading a group to push. Uh, Congress has already approved a billion dollars um, in the education mental health services fund. And they're just hoping that it will be approved further down the road and instituted to bring in new, uh, more mental health professionals. That number is really sad to yeah. hear about. And when I was in high school, my high school didn't have any of these problems. And I I keep hearing from younger kids that this is 
more of an issue in their high schools than anything. And it's sad that people don't feel like there's anywhere to turn to. There's massive bullying going on, um, you know, in high schools. And well, I also schools. think that to the bullying point, it's like social media has, I remember reading something maybe a couple years ago talking about how this is a weird way to phrase it, but that homicide rates have gone down amongst youth but suicide rates have gone up and it's because kids are spending less time physically together and more time sort of interacting on the internet. And we all know, you know, how social media can skew perception and make you feel depressed. And I mean, talk about the sort of hearings with Instagram and Facebook when it came to the research they were doing, especially about young girls and how Instagram was affecting young girls' confidence and insecurities. And I think that, you know, what, makes me upset is that I've always felt like education and paying attention to sort of early childhood and adolescence is frankly the key to fix a lot of the issues that we have in our world. And I remember, you know, in the conversation that you had with Sarah Hernandez, the woman running for school board, community college school board in LA you were asking about, you know, that education seems to take a back seat. And I feel like mm-hmm. this does fall under education as well. And healthcare also sometimes takes a back seat because there are issues that I think what she had said is it it takes so long to sort of see the results of what you're legislating about with both sure. healthcare and legi- education, that it's not like a sexy thing for a politician. It doesn't happen overnight. T- doesn't happen overnight. It's right. not going to help them get reelected. And also it's really hard, right? These are really hard, like institutional issues to fix as opposed to like passing some bill that can enact tomorrow and can immediately have an effect on people's lives, which is great. I think it also takes a young politician to be bringing really. this to light more yeah. and you know, it made me sort of think how many times have you heard from, you know, a parent or our parents' generation going, well, therapy just wasn't part of our generation. Right. And, you know, I've, I've heard that a lot from adults and it's almost like they don't want to accept that, Hey, maybe this could work or they've never done it before. Well, those people are still the majority of the people controlling school funding. And like you were saying with this sort of instituting, having more mental health professionals, if you don't believe that mental health is the root of the problem, you're much less likely to put funding into it. Yeah. So just to your point to, to jump in real quick, I I think that there is still a very big stigma, particularly the older, the generation you're dealing with, the, the more the stigma exists with regard to like, counseling right and and therapy and this idea of you know parents feeling like oh well my kid isn't the person who needs a therapist or the yeah. school psychologist when in fact every student probably should and there's so much that i think kids go through particularly in middle school and high yeah. school that they're not going to really talk to their parents about and i think that we still have such a long way to go on you know destigmatizing the idea of of counseling so one of the scarier stats too, and I think this all ties in together. Uh, when I was in college, I was at one of those functions, and you're sitting next to sitting next to the dean of students, 
And I said, what, what keeps you up at night? And he said, the fact that 50% of the student population is on prescribed medication. Wow. And oh I, my I was God. like, whoa, that's a pretty high number there. I think that's the bigger issue. Like, I think that many people are in need of prescription drugs to actually help them. I think the hard thing is that we live in a culture, especially in college, that is so thirsty for intoxication and different kinds of sort of mind altering that if you are, you know, necessarily for that. Yeah. I mean, but then if you like actually have ADD and need the Adderall, suddenly you get into an environment, people are like, oh, I'll give you, you know, 20 bucks or whatever. Like it, it's more the, to me the environment that creates the issue where having this stuff available becomes insidious as opposed to actually helpful, which it can be for many students. Like 50% is a very high number, but I imagine that a percentage of those 50% actually really need it. Yeah. Need that. I mean, like, you know, to put a high school student on antidepressants might be extreme, but it might also be really necessary. Well, well, like an incredibly popular show right now is Euphoria. It is one of the more stressful shows for me to watch. Their last episode actually talked about how one girl was basically explaining what excuses to make when you're a drug addict. Mm. You know, and I was wow. like, this is a high school student. And now high school kids are watching this and they're doing drugs and they're figuring out excuses of how to hide that. The other thing I was going to mention, Anthony was kind of about that and the state in which teenagers are living. I remember a little while back, we had covered something about Stephanie Murphy, who's a Democrat and from Florida. And she had either introduced a bill or maybe had sort of made a statement about PTSD in high school students from all the school shooter drill, even just the drills. Oh, not yeah, even mentioned that's oh, like a normal thing. Crazy. Yeah. But, yeah. but just even the doing the drills and how there needed to be more sort of mental health care to students just because they're going through these drills and imagining the worst scenario you could ever again, imagine as a kid. We never went through anything like that. Right. We had and no I idea. That yeah. to, you know, to wrap it up, I think that my takeaway from all of it is like, this is, it's such a hard time to be a teenager. Like not only is being a teenager already very difficult, you have the explosion of social media and the plethora of platforms that you can both be expressive on, which is great, but also be bullied and be judged and feel judged. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. I'm Michael Kristoff. I'm Anna Muskie Goldwyn. And thank you for listening to Political Playlist Happy Hour. We hope that you are one bit smarter and potentially one bit looser from the alcohol that you were drinking along with us. Oh.